Welcome to Sky Women. I'm your host, Dr. Carolyn Moyers, a wife, mom, and board-certified OB-GYN. This is a place to educate, empower, and inspire. Join us each week as we share the power of women's stories. Real women, real stories, real inspiration. Put on your stretchy pants. Let's get going. Hello, Sky Women. Welcome back to another episode. So excited that you've joined us today. I have a special guest, Mrs. Allie Lieberman with me. She is a licensed therapist. She is a marriage and family therapist and a coach. She is the new mama mentor. She helps new moms rediscover their identities and feel confident and capable and grounded. And gosh, I mean, we all need you. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you are located in California where the weather is always beautiful. Always beautiful. (laughs) Even today is a cold day and it's still lovely. So awesome. Awesome. (laughs) So I'm in Texas and the weather is every other day different. Yeah. (laughs) We have a lot to chat about today. And I just want to introduce you and your work initially. So tell us kind of your story and how you got into this. Yeah. So I have been a therapist for about eight years and I had my son almost four years ago and he was born four weeks early. My water spontaneously broke because I was going to work and I couldn't tell actually if I peed or if I water broke. So that was so fun. common. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. common. It was like every time I sat down, I was like, did I pee? I'm not sure. But then we went to the hospital. I had him. He ended up in the NICU for like, I think it was like 36-ish hours. And I was not prepared for that at all. Not that anybody is, I don't think. But I don't think that there was a lot of communicating around him going to the NICU and then what to expect with him there. And I right. felt like very in the dark and very scared, obviously. And then when we brought him home, like I had nothing ready. I had had my baby shower the week before. So you thought you had <laughs> so, time to get things ready. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So his room was filled with boxes. We didn't even have like our bassinet set up, nothing. And I would spend all night feeding him, trying to breastfeed, all the stuff and Googling nonstop. And that was like very much to my detriment. And I didn't talk to anybody about it. I didn't tell my husband. I didn't tell my family. I didn't tell my friends. I didn't think anybody would quite get what I was experiencing because I had always been anxious. So why is this any different? So the overwhelming feeling was anxiety. Yes. Like I could identify the anxiety. I knew that I had it. And I just thought it was like, okay, well, I was anxious before, so I might as well be anxious now. I just added more responsibility to my plate. So I didn't think much about it. And I would say about three months in, I started having these really intensive, intrusive thoughts that he was going to drown in a pool and... I didn't have a pool, so I knew that it was irrational, but I couldn't stop having those thoughts and it would make me go check on him more and I would sort of obsess over it. And if he would go anywhere, I'd have to check, like he's not going to a pool, right? Like there's not going to be a pool around. Like I had to have that reassurance. It took me about nine months to finally like accept that maybe I need to go on medication. Maybe I should start seeing my own therapist. And so I, I started seeking that out, but nobody was able to identify like, you have postpartum anxiety. 
everybody so else sort of bought into that same narrative. Yeah. Let, let's just unpack that. You're a mental health provider. Mm-hmm. You are in the field and you, it took you nine months to recognize this is mm-hmm. what's going on. And your pediatrician, your OB-GYN, nobody else picked up on this. No, nobody at like in terms of my OB and my pediatrician, no one asked me anything, right? They gave me the Edinburgh questionnaire and like, I of course know how to fill those out. So like, it was like, yeah, no, like this is, I'm fine, whatever. You were people pleasing on your Edinburgh, your postpartum depression questionnaire? Of course, (laughs) which is part of the work that I do with new moms too, is like the people pleasing codependency piece is huge in your postpartum journey. And that was definitely something that was happening with me. It's like, they cannot have insight into how hard this is for me because I am a therapist and it can't be hard, right? Which is ridiculous. Right, right. So you have higher <laughs> expectations for yourself than any other mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somehow so, you should be exempt. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And when I was in school, like they taught us about postpartum depression, but like very surface level, like postpartum depression is just like regular depression, but after you have a baby. And that was kind of it. So <laughs> I knew that I wasn't depressed. So it couldn't be that. Right. And that's what the Edinburgh is really checking too. It's like, are you depressed? It's not really checking for like any of the anxiety disorders. Right. So when I finally was able to get connected with a psychiatrist and a therapist, nobody was talking to me about the postpartum aspect. Mm-hmm. They also were treating me as I was just general anxiety. Once I started to realize like this has to be connected to actually like my postpartum experience, I started doing research around it to see like, are there people that specialize in this? Right. And there's a whole world through Partum Support International that I had no idea about. And this was four years into my practicing. Like that's a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm. And then I started doing the research and I realized that. And I still haven't been able to necessarily access a postpartum specialist in the mental health field. It's been a lot of my own work and then working with my own therapist to really like work on what I'm noticing. But that's how limited we are in terms of getting the actual postpartum mental health support. That's sort of why I started my therapy practice, but then also why I started the coaching is so that like, it's not only limited to people in my area. Right, because... Anybody who's tried to get mental health care, it's very challenging. We have such a shortage of mental health care providers, whether it's counselors, psychiatrists, et cetera. Several month wait time, very challenging. So this particular population needs specialized care. And I love to see more and more that we're doing that, that we're offering that. There are a couple of uh, perinatal psychiatrists out of Austin, actually, mm. that I really love and refer patients to regularly. But I love that you're creating community. So your clinical practice counseling is only mm-hmm. in California, but mm-hmm. your coaching practice for the new mamas is creating community. Is it all one-on-one coaching or is it group coaching? It's both. It's both. Okay. So, you know, depending on what the needs are and what somebody's looking for, it can be either. So in both my therapy practice and in my 
coaching. We do group and individual because that's part of the struggle in postpartum is you feel very isolated. Oh, totally. You feel alone. Yeah. And I was <laughs> regardless, to, like you yeah. feel very lonely, regardless of anxiety. I was trying to explain this to someone the other day that it's like, it's not like the loneliness and that like you're by yourself. It's worse in that it's the loneliness when you're surrounded by people and you just feel <laughs> invisible. <laughs> and like you, you could... They have like so many TikToks out there right now where it's like, help me, help me, help me. And they're like, oh, you got this, right? You're good. (laughs) Right, right. Well, let's talk about what are some of those risk factors for anxiety and what does it actually look like? And I know I hear this all the time in my practice and treating postpartum mamas. And we talk a lot about the intrusive thoughts, Uh but some of those risk factors may be a history of miscarriage, pregnancy loss, stillbirth, right? Or a traumatic delivery, medical complications in the postpartum period where you're separated from baby or an emergency C-section and baby goes to the NICU, right? Like these are all like, it was not on your birth plan, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it just messes with your mind and your expectation. And you feel like you're robbed of your birth story, et cetera, you know? So talk to us kind of about what you've seen. I kind of like to like, break it down to something really simple. And then I can kind of go into it in more detail, but postpartum anxiety is sort of like an umbrella. So you have just like a general anxiety that might be higher than your average stress as a new mom. But then you have like the postpartum OCD, and then you also have the postpartum PTSD. And there's different risk factors and stuff for that, which I will get into. But in addition to that, like anxiety in general is just feeling very out of control, right? Right. So when you're focusing on postpartum anxiety, like the nemesis of that is a birth plan. (laughs) Right. (laughs) For me, like what I like to encourage pregnant moms to do is like, of course, a birth plan is important in order to advocate for what you want. Like you want to really understand this is what's important to me when I'm going to give birth. And you cannot create like cement set in stone birth plan because you are setting yourself up to be disappointed. A lot of times it goes just as planned and it's great. But if it doesn't, if you are like, I want the natural vaginal birth and then you end up having the emergency Mm C-section, that in itself can be a predictive factor for postpartum anxiety, right? So it's really trying to like understand what you have control over versus what you don't have control over. You have control over who you want to be in your room, right? Like, do you want a birthing partner? Do you not? Except for the COVID stuff, maybe that took away for people. (laughs) There's elements of that you do have control over. So focusing on that. But then when you're entering into postpartum, if you have a history of trauma, if you have a history of anxiety or OCD in general, like those are automatically going to put you at higher risk. It's just a part of the territory, right? But then if you have a traumatic birth, if you have a birth plan that didn't go the way you wanted it to, if you have a baby that ends up in the NICU, history of miscarriages, if you went through IVF, right? all of these like extra added on stressors, preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, all of those things increase your risk of postpartum depression or anxiety. So it's sort of paying attention to if those are things that you've already struggled with, making sure that you're checking in with your mental health along the way. 
And the difference for like postpartum OCD versus postpartum PTSD is OCD is where you see like those intrusive thoughts. So those end up being like the obsessions and the compulsions end up being frequently checking on baby or Googling everything or all of that. And the the PTSD is like having the flashbacks and, and feeling like you're having more nightmares or you can't sleep. Those are how those sort of manifest differently than like a postpartum depression. But the mom says, okay, well, I feeling all these intrusive thoughts. I'm very anxious about everything. Just getting out of the house seems so challenging. Like, do we really have a well-defined diagnosis or is it just if it's creating stress in your life, then you should seek help? There is not a well-defined diagnosis for any of it. The only like structured diagnosis is postpartum depression. So that's part of the issue in terms of like our professional realm is that like nobody knows this exists. But also I think at a standard level of like, if it's impacting your regular functioning in your life, then it's a problem that you need help with. So it's hard to get out of the house. And so you haven't been out of your house in three months, then that's a problem. But if it's like, oh, today was a bad day. So like, we're not going anywhere. That's different. Right. So on what scale, like what should our partners be looking out for? Yes. A good thing for partners to look out for is, is your partner sleeping, right? So like not, I hate sleep when the baby sleeps. That is not my jam. But at night, when everybody should be sleeping, if the baby is asleep, then you need to be sleeping. And I think that like breastfeeding and pumping sometimes ends up impacting that too. So yeah, making sure that like, of course, like you need to get certain things done the way that they need to be done. But if you are not falling asleep because you are tired and you're staying awake, then we have an issue. And that tends to be when we start to notice. And now that doesn't mean that you're, that this is going to happen. I want to very much emphasize that. But that's when we start to notice like the transition from a postpartum depression or anxiety to postpartum psychosis, right? Because we're not sleeping. And so then our brain starts to react to that. Okay. So as a preventative, we don't want to get to that point. Like sleep is the number one. And then you look at eating and then you look at socializing and all of that. And you're making sure that those things are happening, but it all comes back to sleep. So we need to start with getting adequate sleep, which I think is really challenging when you have a new baby because you're constantly being interrupted. Or even if Uh partner gets up to feed the baby, you have to get up to pump. Like where's, where is the balance? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And and again, it's paying attention to like what makes sense. So of course, like if you're pumping and all of that stuff and it, it's not making sense for you to sleep, then yeah, of course, like that, that's fine. But it's like when I was having the intrusive thoughts, I would lay awake in bed while my kids were sleeping. I wouldn't be sleeping because my anxiety was so high. And then maybe I would get 30 minutes before I had to start the whole process over because like my anxiety kept me awake. Okay. So then what should be the first step for mamas to seek help? So a good first step, it's hard because a lot of times, like the people that are are having the touch points with moms are pediatricians and OBs, and they don't always have the resources on hand, right? Mm-hmm. What I've seen is that like, there's a lot of like, oh, well, you need to go talk to this person. And, and then they go back to that person, that person sends them to somebody else. and what happens is somebody falls off, right? Like, oh, I've talked to too many people and nobody 
clearly can help me. So just as a general like suggestion would be like, if you can do nothing else, but go to like the postpartum support international directory and find a psychiatrist or a therapist, or they have, oh, what are they called? Peer support counselors, I think in every state that helps connect you with somebody. If you can only manage one touch point, make it that as opposed to talking to the pediatrician who sends you to the OB, who sends you to your primary care doctor, who says, go look somewhere else. I think that that's like the biggest struggle from like the therapist end that we're seeing. To actually get, because they're doing the runaround to yes. get the care they need in the postpartum period when it's hard enough to get out of the house with a, a baby. Yeah. Yes. And you start yeah. to feel like, okay, nobody can help me. Yeah. It's just a matter of like having those connections and those resources. That's why at Sky Women's Health, we're trying to have the collective ancillary services, especially yeah. for postpartum under one roof. So my next yeah. step is a perinatal counselor or psychiatrist. We currently yeah. have, there's two practices that I know of in the Austin area for our Texas folks who do a fabulous job. The other challenge is that often out of network or uh-huh. cash-based practice because it's not well reimbursed by insurance companies. And so then it becomes a financial barrier for patients to get the mental health care that they need. Yeah. And that's why I think what we're seeing too, is there's a lot of groups that are being offered mm-hmm. by some of these cash-based practices because mm-hmm. they're more affordable and more attainable. And community is really important, right? Kind of going back to what we were saying before is like, it's so isolating and we feel like we have to have this image that we know what we're doing. And even though there's a dumpster fire happening behind closed doors. Mama's got to have the house together. The kids are pristine. She's put together. Yeah, like this unrealistic expectation. Absolutely. And so if, if you're seeking like support groups that are not necessarily managed by like therapists or trained people, they usually are just like moms that are getting together that are like collaborating, which is great. Like I don't want to discourage that. And in that there is also room for more shaming, blaming, feeling isolated if you can't relate, right? If you could find a group, if you are not able to access the right care because of finances or insurance or whatever it is, but you could afford tend a group, you will find, especially if it's in a therapeutic or coaching space, that other moms are having those same exact issues. Right. And there is something to be said. I mean, I think that coaching is huge, not that there's not a place for counseling and for psychiatry, but coaching is huge when you go into a community and you can see, oh, we all have this similar struggles, right? And you may not be struggling with that same exact thing, but you can relate it to something else in your life. And I think it's really powerful. There's definitely in our shared lived experiences, there's so much power knowing that you're not alone. Yes. And every group offers something different. So like through my coaching practice, like I really focus on like the the unicorn mom, which is like definitely more of like that DGAF attitude. Like I don't have time to take on like everybody else's stuff, but you have to, you really have to get to a place where you feel comfortable doing that, right? So if that's the goal, then great. And if you're more of a type A mom, then that maybe isn't the right group for you. And that's okay too. Okay. (laughs) Tell us a little bit more about your community. Like why would a new mama say, oh my gosh, this is for me? I think with that attitude of like, 
we have to show that we have everything together on the outside is accepting that like none of us have it all together. And sometimes that's a really hard place to get to is that like, it's okay that my house isn't pristine when I have people come over. That has taken a lot because of work. Because little people live here and they are not right. pristine. <laughs> right. But some people, that's too big of a step and that would make sense. But if that is your goal, then I am here to help you, right? So it's sort of shedding that people-pleasing tendencies, the codependency, like really trying to own who you are as a mom and be okay what your strengths are and leaning into those and accepting that like whatever your weaknesses are, like mine, I'm not an organized person. I'm just not. And I've had to come a long way to be okay with that as opposed to trying to forcing myself to be organized for other people's benefit. All right. So kind of letting go of those societal expectations and just being yeah. real with you are as a mom. Because I think that that's, that's a big piece of it. Not, not only are our hormones going crazy in the postpartum period, we may have some health complications ourselves. We're worrying about our new baby and keeping our new baby alive, right? And we have these intrusive yeah. thoughts around, oh my gosh, what if my baby drowned whenever I was bathing it, right? Not that you want that to happen or you want to harm your baby, but it's just like this intrusive thought because you know that they can't fend for themselves. You've got to keep them safe, right? Yeah. I mean, am I hitting some nerves? I I feel like those those are some like intrusive (laughs) thoughts that kind of are like, what if I maybe, you know, stops breathing in their sleep? And so you do all the monitors and you're like constantly going and checking on baby and it's interrupting your sleep. This is really hard. But then on top of that, I feel like just owning your own identity after baby. Right. Because I think a lot of times, sometimes we're surprised by how much becoming a mother really shifts our entire priorities, life goals, etc. Well, and you think about too the narrative that you have just around being a parent, right? So like when I was growing up, like the narrative was like a mom sacrifices everything for their kids. And mm-hmm they come last, right? And of Mm -hmm. course, like there's sacrifices in motherhood and all of that, but you can take care of yourself and be a good mom. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. And so that was like a huge shift in my own identity and becoming a parent was like, oh, I don't have to take care of myself last every single time. And I can create space for myself in addition to being a present mom. And if I don't create that space, then I'm not present. A hundred percent. Whether that's in taking care of your mental health, taking care of your physical health, going for a run, like whatever, whatever helps you to reconnect with who you are, having lunch with friends, like whatever. And I think another, another big piece of this is that women become the default parent who does all of the things. My listeners know that I love to recommend books. So another new book that I'm reading, <laughs> surprise, is uh, Fair Play. And Oh yeah, I have the Fair Play card. Whoa, I mean, <laughs> it is really eye-opening. Let's see, Fair Play by Eve Rodsky. Oh my gosh. Wow. Women, you need to go read this and help kind of break down those expectations of this is the female and the male role and really learn how and help your partner learn how to really be that equal partner in parenting, right? Because when they're watching the kids, they're not babysitting, they're parenting. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yes. You know, and I think that that's a hard transition too, is like 
we don't always pay attention to underlying beliefs. Like, so I know my husband and I, like, we both want the mindset of this very egalitarian marriage and parenting that, right? Sure. But then when we enter into like our parenting sphere, we realize that like I came from a much more egalitarian household. So I play into that more. And he came from a much more traditional household. And mm-hmm. so his mindset is very much set in that like the mom does all the doctor's appointments and all the pickups and drop-offs and the school conferences. And it's like, wait a second, right? That's not... It feeds all the people. <laughs> right, right. And that's not the equality that we talked about wanting, right? right. And right. so it's really like getting in touch with that piece of like, just because you say you want something doesn't mean that that's going to be the way that you act. So it's bringing those two things together. Yeah. We could open a whole can of worms on that. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about that for a long time. Really? Okay. I feel like that you are going to have to come back because we have so much to talk about. One of the things that you were mentioning before about like a common scenario that you see in a mama with postpartum anxiety is one who's had a postpartum hemorrhage. Can you kind of talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So something that comes up a lot in my therapy practice is moms who I've sort of seen this trajectory. And of course, like this is not necessarily guaranteed. I, I hate trying to scare people into that. But sure. I have moms who have had miscarriages that they sort of wrote off as like, okay, well, that happened on to the next. And then they've had multiple children and they've all been relatively successful births and their birth plans went as planned and all of that. And then their last baby, which I think is probably a piece of it too. And they end up having these very traumatic postpartum hemorrhages where maybe there were some signs of it at the hospital, but it was managed and then they're discharged and then something happens at home and they have to go back to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And now they've been separated from their baby who's less than a week old. And they feel like they they are there's an interruption in that attachment, right? Mm-hmm. So that's like one key factor. And then their life is at risk just know that they're bleeding uncontrollably and they don't know what to do. So they're in the hospital. And so automatically, no matter what, if you have the sense that your life is at risk or your child's life is at risk, that's going to increase your chances of postpartum PTSD. But then on top of that, you have this re-traumatization every time you get your period because you're bleeding. And that's natural. And what I try to tell my clients is like, you know, part of this is exposure And if you had your period every single day, that wouldn't be healthy. But also, if you had your period every single day, you would be exposed to it. And over time, it would become less distressing once it was confirmed that you weren't dying. But when you wake up in the morning and you had your period, all your brain is registering in your survival part of your brain. Of heavy bleeding. Yeah. 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 It's like, oh my gosh, I'm bleeding. Yeah. And so then it becomes this panic. And then you don't know what to do, right? Like if I call my OB, they're going to tell me that it's my period. I'm like, that's normal. But like, who else do I call? What do I do? And so that I'm noticing is like this bigger piece. that I don't think there's a lot of education out there on that. But also like my clients that are struggling with it, have a hard time accepting that like it makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense what I just said, but... 
they have a hard time understanding why they're correlating those two things. Yeah. Because it quote unquote shouldn't be that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we shit ourselves to death over so many things, right? (laughs) Momhood, sex, life, all the things like we're just shitting all over it. So yeah. I think that it's reasonable to assume that if you had a postpartum hemorrhage, when you, every 28, 32 days come around, you have your period and you're going to be like, oh my God, you know, almost like it's happening all over again, yes. especially because periods after babies can be really funky, right? They like to just surprise you yeah. and it can take several months for that to kind of settle out. Now, if you're breastfeeding, you may not have a period for some time. So imagine that, that it's, you know, six yes. to eight months down the road before you have a cycle and then it's all over again. So, okay. So what's the biggest thing that a mom should be looking at in terms of it's an ER visit for postpartum mental health? Like they need to seek help right away. Yeah. I would say if it's warranting an ER visit, we're talking like hallucinations, delusions, thoughts of wanting to kill themselves or kill their baby or wanting to leave altogether. It's very rare that those things happen, but they do happen. Mm-hmm. And so I would say like those would constitute a emergency room visit. Right. And if you have a psychiatric facility nearby that you could voluntarily check yourself into, that would be a better choice. Than going to the ER. Yes. If you have Only- a psychiatry hospital nearby. Only because I used to work in crisis work. And once you go to the ER, if you say anything about, I'm having thoughts of wanting to harm myself or my baby, they're going to send you there anyway. And now you're there involuntarily, as opposed to voluntarily checking yourself in. Mm. Then you have a little bit more control over the situation than if somebody else sends you there. Interesting. But... If you don't have someplace that you feel safe that you could get to, then absolutely go to an ER over just trying to write it out. Right. Well, this has been so fun to to chat about this very serious topic, but I don't ever want to slip things under the rug. I want to normalize these challenging phases of life that we go through as women because there is strength in our shared lived experiences. I have been perusing all over the new mama mentor website and social handles, and you guys should go check her out. You are the new mama mentor on all platforms. Yes. Okay. So Facebook, Instagram, your website. Awesome. And guys, she's got so many good freebies in her link tree, like five expert tips to surviving fourth trimester. What new mama doesn't need that? Three ways to reclaim your identity after baby. And we're going to have to come back and talk about these and kind of uh, dive into them. I am so happy to have you with me. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. Until next week, be well. All right, Sky community. Thank you for listening to another episode. This episode was sponsored by Sky Women's Health. As a reminder, we're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and we help relieve back pain and pelvic pain in pregnancy and beyond. If you are pregnant and having pain and you feel like you have no reliable way to relieve it, look us up at skywomenshealth.com, request an appointment, and we'll call to get you scheduled. As a board-certified OB-GYN with a Neuromusculoskeletal Medicine Fellowship, 
I help you realign with hands-on drug-free treatment and relieve pain on the spot without medication. We'll help you maintain these results through your pregnancy and postpartum period. Every pregnant person deserves this, and we are so excited to serve you. You can find us on our website, as mentioned, or on social at Sky Women's Health, or you can call the office at 817-915-9803. That's it for today. Until next week, be well.